thank you very much, Randy, for opening the service up for us. And good morning and welcome to you all to the Family Bible Hour. Uh, we once again continue our mini-series this morning on uh, Sound the Trumpet with the subtitle this morning, uh, The Antichrist is Coming. I apologize, Matthew, if I step into some of your territory, but the last few weeks... Last few weeks, I've been really burdened by the way things are uh, happening and uh, unfolding, and I really believe that the Lord's return is is just around the corner. Things can't get much worse, uh, and of course, I'm sure Matthew will be touching in on a lot of the signs and uh, things to look out for. So our main text uh, for this morning uh, is John chapter 5 verses 39 to 43. Now we started that one uh, last time I spoke and we're going to tackle the second part of it this morning. So if you have your Bibles handy, would you please turn to John chapter 5, verse 39, and we'll read through to verse 43. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I received not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive, and may God grant us the grace to understand the text before us and the message that we are going to present. Father, we are so thankful this morning to have an error-free Bible in our hands, for thou hast promised that thou wilt preserve every word of it till the end of time. We pray that the Spirit of God might be pleased to open our understanding of the topic before us, for it is a very frightening topic and one that will affect each and every one of us and our loved ones and especially those who are not yet saved. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that thou would bless us this morning, illuminate our understanding, Holy Spirit, and Father, grant us the grace to believe and to obey, for we ask it all in our Savior's name. Amen. In our last message, we looked at the first part of this text, verse 40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. This morning, Lord willing, I would like to tackle the second part of this passage which is verse 43. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. As we recall from our last message, our Lord had been rebuking the Jews for their unbelief, that is, the religious Jews who were seeking to kill him. Jesus had clearly explained to them who he was, 
and had just given to them four separate pieces of solid evidence in the previous few verses. There was sufficient proof to confirm that he, Jesus Christ, was in fact the promised Messiah come in the flesh. And so Jesus gives four different witnesses to verify his claim. First, he uses the testimony of John the Baptist in John chapter 5, verses 33 to 35. John, who we all know was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, testified of Christ and clearly identified him as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world in John 1.29. And that Jesus, this Lamb of God who was sent by God himself, would baptize believers with the Holy Ghost. And secondly, our Lord uses the testimony of his own works in John 5.36. He tells them that he has even a greater testimony than John the Baptist, and that witness or testimony is his own works. It has always been proclaimed by Jesus that he came to do the will of the Father, and everything that he did was given to him of the Father. There were miracles that Christ did which should have proven to them that this was no ordinary man. Men do not still the winds and the seas by commanding them to be still. Mark 4.35-41 Men do not walk on water as Jesus did in Matthew 14.26 Men do not heal those who were born blind so that they can see again. But Jesus did in John 9 verses 1-7 to Men do not feed 5,000 people plus women and children with a mere five loaves of bread and two fishes and then still have 12 baskets full left over. These were unmistakable miracles and wonders which God performed through the person of his Son who came in his Father's name to do the Father's will. But the religious Jews still would not believe. And the third testimony which Jesus used to rebuke their unbelief was his Father's own direct verbal testimony from heaven. In John 5:37-38, the Lord accuses them of not having the word of God abiding in them, even though many of them were teachers of the law. They have neither heard his voice nor seen his shape, and so they therefore do not accept Jesus as his son. But the Father did speak so that the people could hear. In Matthew three sixteen to 17 we read, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And finally, Jesus presents the fourth piece of evidence, which testified to the truth of his claim as the Son of God. And that was the Old Testament Scriptures. 
he convicts them of their hypocrisy. They who claim to be the teachers of the law and study the scriptures have failed to recognize that the one who was central to all of scripture was standing in their very midst. And the reason for his being there was to give them eternal life. But their sins were keeping them from seeing that. And that was why he told them in John 5.40, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. In spite of all of these proofs, all of these testimonies, all of this evidence, you still won't believe, he said. He knew that they would not believe, that they could not believe, not because they could not believe for lack of uh, evidence or proof, but because of the stubbornness of their own hearts. They did not want to believe. You know, dearly beloved, there are many like those unbelieving Jews today all around us. There are countless cults, false religions, and atheists all around us which reject Jesus Christ as the only Savior of mankind. They will not have him reign over them because when he reigns, he exposes sin. When he reigns, he brings in righteousness. When he reigns, he gives life. When he reigns, self must die. This was not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. And so we now come to the main text for our message this morning, John 5, verse 43. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. And so our question is, who is this other? Who is this person whom the unbelievers will receive in place of Jesus? The scriptures have a lot to say about this man whom Jesus was referring to. He will be a real person, an imposter, claiming to be Christ. He will be a very evil person. In scripture, he has many names. Daniel calls him the little horn in Daniel 7, verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Daniel also calls him the king of fierce countenance in Daniel 8.23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And then later in Daniel 9:26 he is identified as the prince that shall come. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations 
are determined. The prophet Zechariah calls him the idle shepherd in Zechariah 11, 16, 17, while the apostle Paul identifies him as the man of sin, the wicked one, and the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 8. The Apostle John refers to him as the Antichrist in 1 John 2.18, while the book of the Revelation presents him as the second beast in chapter 13.11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So this one who shall come in his own name is a real man, a man who will appear on the world scene and deceive the world into believing that he is their Messiah, that he will solve their world crisis, that he will bring them peace, that he is the real Christ, and they will receive him. But he is the counterfeit Christ. He is the one who will put himself in the place of Christ and will deceive the unbelieving world. He will come when the time is right. And so this now brings us to the second question. When will he come? When will this imposter Messiah appear on the scene to do his horrific deeds? Everything in God's timetable has to do with God's perfect timing. When the time is right, he will appear on the world scene. And that time is almost here, dearly beloved. We don't need to watch television or read the newspapers to learn that things are not going very well in the world today. The knowledge of the one true living God is lacking in our twin countries of Canada and the United States, as David so aptly uh, alluded to last week. The humanists and the evolutionists have destroyed precious young minds through their heresies and perverted ideologies, which have been systematically inserted into school curriculums for decades. Through the mass media, these enemies of the cross have infiltrated our homes, destroying the family unit with their liberal theologies. Our churches, which were once beacons of light and reverent places of worship, are now entertainment centers, rarely preaching from the Bible the faith once delivered unto the saints. All of the technology necessary for world surveillance and control is readily available and is being put into place. Computers, laser communication devices, high-tech weaponry, microchips already being embedded in human beings, highly trained men and women to operate this new technology. And the most important aspect necessary is presently being perfected the deterioration of political governments worldwide and a helplessness on their part to bring in any semblance of order, even though many wars are being waged. 
The Middle East is certainly a hopeless disaster fomented by an unlimited supply of deluded suicide bombers and the world is now crying for leaders to lead them out of their messes. But he, this man of sin, this Antichrist, cannot appear before a certain event takes place first. Let's turn briefly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Let no man deceive you by any means, writes the Apostle Paul, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. What Paul was reminding the Thessalonian believers in this verse was the order of events. He was reminding them that the son of perdition would not be revealed before the falling away took place first. Now there are two views on this falling away. One view is that it is the rapture, while the other view is it that it is the great apostasy. However, a careful analysis will reveal that this falling away has in mind the rapture, since a complete falling away or apostasy won't take place before the church is raptured. As long as there is a remnant of true believers on this earth, error will be exposed. And so the Holy Spirit must be taken out with the rapture before the man of sin is actually revealed. If we go down to verses 6, 7, and 8, we get more insight into the order of events to come. And ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now that's referring to the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Notice in verse 8, Paul tells us, and then shall that wicked one be revealed. That is, after the church has been raptured, in verse 7. So although the circumstances around us are preparing to receive this man, God's timetable is the key. He will not be revealed until after the rapture of the church. And the teaching of Scripture is that the rapture could happen at any time. Therefore, dearly beloved, though it is good to know all of these things, we must never forget that it is the Lord of glory for whom all believers are waiting and looking for. We are not looking for the man of sin. As some have put it, we are looking for the upper taker not the undertaker. It is the unbelieving world that is waiting for this Antichrist. And so now we come to our third question. Why will the world receive him? 
The world will receive the man of sin because the world has rejected the man of righteousness. The world is in darkness and prefers the darkness to the light. And so God will make it easier for the world to accept this Antichrist with open arms. We read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And that is very frightening. Because they would not have Jesus, God will delude them into thinking that the Antichrist is now the real Jesus. That they might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What a frightening thought. God shall send them a strong delusion and they shall believe a lie. Now let me pause here for a moment and draw our attention to the word shall. We often miss these things today because English grammar isn't being taught very much anymore anywhere. But the word shall, when it is used in the third person singular or third person plural with future intent, always has the connotation of a done deal. It is a promise or a threat that will be kept. It is never used as a probability or a possibility. If that were the case, then God the Holy Spirit would have used will instead of shall. And so we read God shall we are to understand that is exactly what will happen. It is a done deal. But please remember also that it is not God who is responsible for the unbelieving heart for not believing. God is shown everywhere in Scripture trying to convince men to believe his word, his prophets, his son, so that they might be saved. But sometimes God turns them over completely to their own means and does what he did to the Pharaoh of Egypt so that Pharaoh would not let Moses and his people go. God only reinforced what Pharaoh planned to do in the first place. Pharaoh never had any intention of ever letting the Israelites go. Pharaoh's pride got the best of him and when pride reigns in the heart evil and rebellion are always the end result and so here we read in 2nd Thessalonians 2 10 and 11 that the world which rejected the truth because they received not the love of the truth that is because they received not Christ's testimony and him as the real Messiah the world will believe the lie because God 
will send a great delusion that will fall upon them. And oh, what a warning this should be to the skeptics and believers today. And I speak to them directly. We know there will be many listening by internet. And my question to them is, do you think that God will wring his hands because of your rebellious hearts hoping that you will trust Christ? Nay. God who is sovereign, omniscient, who knows all things, knows that there is a point in the life of every unbelieving heart where he must blot that name out from the book of life. There is a point in every Christ-rejecting heart that the Holy Spirit can no longer plead with that soul. And that soul is then left to its own devices, and that soul will perish. That is why we today preach, Today is the day of salvation. Come and believe while there is yet still some time. Romans 1, 25 warns us about this very matter because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves so the first reason why the world will receive the antichrist is because of the great delusion that will be sent And the second reason will be because the Antichrist will have tremendous supernatural powers and will perform great signs and wonders which will contribute to that deception. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He, that is the Antichrist, will be empowered by that dragon, that serpent from the Garden of Eden, that father of all lies, Satan, better known as the devil, who will counterfeit the Holy Trinity. Satan will finally have found a man who will totally submit himself to him, so that Satan, through him, can finally be worshipped as God. This man, this Antichrist, will be a counterfeit of the Holy Son of God, the man Christ Jesus. Satan is the counterfeit of God the Father, and the spirit of darkness will be the counterfeit of the real Holy Spirit of God. It will be a nearly perfect counterfeit of the Holy Trinity. In the book of the Revelation, in chapter 13, 12 to 15, we see that this Antichrist will also have absolute power, absolute religious powers, absolute economic powers, 
absolute political powers and absolute legal powers. Verse 12. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell in them to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. The Antichrist will be given power over life and death. And in verse 17, we are told that no man will be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast in their right hand or on their forehead. Such will be the man that the world will one day embrace as their Messiah. This now brings us to our fourth question. What will he do? And what will his primary role be? According to scripture in Revelation 13.2, he will be given power to rule the world. He will be a world leader or a dictator. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. He will be a political ruler and a religious ruler unified together. Just like the Pope was with the kings. The Pope always represented that religious aspect of evil and the ruthless kings who were under the Pope's thumbnail ruled as one unit. And we will have that again one day. It will be a revised Roman Empire. And dearly beloved, if you have any relatives still in the Catholic Church, you must get them to flee because it is Satan's device and there will be no hope after the rapture. Secondly, this deceiver, this false Christ, will be supernaturally empowered to deceive the unbelieving world by direct satanic intervention. We read in Revelation 16, 12-14, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of the devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. His powers of deception will come directly from Satan himself, the great deceiver of mankind. Thirdly, the Antichrist will be given power to also persecute 
and to do battle with the saints, that is, those saints who became believers through the faithful testimony of the two witnesses, which Matthew talked about back in Revelation 11.3, who testified for three and a half years before they were killed. Verse 7, in verse thir uh, Revelation 13. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now there are some false teachers out there and they're on television and you know who I'm talking about. I'm going to cover them in my next message who are teaching that the church will go through the tribulation. That's what the Catholic Church teaches and that is Satan's big lie. The church will not go through the tribulation. The church will be raptured for we have been told that God has spared us from the wrath to come. Christ paid for all our sins and the penalty has been paid in full. And so there are those who are teaching and upsetting the saints and causing them great turmoil because they are preparing to receive the Antichrist. His power will be widespread and his ability to wage war will be mind-boggling. Fourthly, the Antichrist will be given power to deceive Israel into receiving them, in receiving him as their Messiah, and he will make a covenant of peace with them during the first three and a half years of his reign. He will be Jewish because Israel would never receive a non-Jewish Messiah. Daniel 11:38 gives us a glimpse into his genealogy. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. Now, nor the desire of women is a tricky one, but I believe he will not be given to marriage. And you know what we're preparing our young men and women to accept today homosexuality is a great sin and so is well I'll leave that for another day nor regard any God for he shall magnify himself above all but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. You see, the God of idolatry today amongst false preachers of the world is the prosperity gospel, money. And what does the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. It is sickening what these Preachers on television today are demanding of poor people and they are living like kings. They are not Christ's preachers. They are not saved. I don't believe there's a single one of them that's saved that is on television today. And I will bring that out 
in my next message, Lord willing. So he will be of Jewish origin. And when it suits him, at the end of the first three and a half years, he will break his covenant with Israel and will persecute God's chosen people with the intent to destroy them completely. And fifthly, his role will be to replace God and his Christ. This man, this Antichrist, will proclaim himself God and will sit in the temple to be worshipped as such. At this stage, Satan's ultimate goal will have been achieved. He will finally be worshipped and everyone who refuses to do so will be killed. It is at this point that the Jewish people discover the deception and will flee to the hills as they were warned to do so in Matthew 24, 15-20. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountain, etc. The world will finally get the leader they deserve, but he may not be the leader they want. We finally come to the fifth and last question in our message this morning. How will it all end? The Bible tells us that the reign of the Antichrist, though it will last for at least seven years during the most terrifying people in all of man's history, it will still nonetheless come to an end. Christ Jesus will return to this earth with all of his saints in glory and his holy angels at a most crucial point in the unfolding history of events to destroy the man of sin and his armies as they are gathered for battle at Armageddon. The Lord will make short order of the Antichrist's armies that day as we read again in the book of the Revelation 19, verses 19 to 20. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, that's Jesus, and against his army, that's the glorified saints. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Such will be the end result of all who reject Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and receive instead the man of sin also known as the Antichrist. In our next message, Lord willing, I would like to tackle Sound the Trumpet and deal with the tragic proliferation of all the false teachers, prophets, political and religious leaders who are part of all of this delusion and who have caused great distress to the saints of God and have been leading millions upon millions of unsuspecting souls right into the fold, sheepfold, of the coming Antichrist and imminent eternal destruction.
Last week, David alluded to some of those false teachers whom millions reverently follow week after week on television, feeding on their false teachings rather than studying the Word of God daily for themselves. These false teachers and their damnable heresies need to be exposed in light of Scripture so that genuine believers might be forewarned. But now, as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Have you yet come to the Jesus of the Bible? The one whom the scriptures testify of. The one who is able to give you life. The only one who is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? Or are you waiting and looking for the false Messiah, the one who will someday come in his own name, the one whom the Bible identifies as the Antichrist? I trust that everyone here this morning is truly born again and is in Jesus Christ and heaven bound. But just perchance, if there is even only one soul who is still unsure, I plead with you before it is too late, come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was born of a virgin, the one who lived a perfectly sinless life, the one who went to the cross of Calvary and took upon himself your sins and my sins, was buried rose again after the third day and is now seated on the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. And the one who came in his Father's name and taught, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, let's pray. Father, we thank Thee so much for this book called the Holy Bible. We thank Thee, Lord, that Thou hast preserved every word of it, that we can trust our lives and our souls on it. We thank Thee that we have the Holy Spirit of God teaching and indwelling each of us, warning us of the devices of Satan through Thy word, and by the Spirit's leading. And Father, we pray that each one of us here this morning might take our walk with Thee more seriously as we become aware of the quickly unfolding events leading to the preparation of the Antichrist and his followers. And Lord, that we might have a greater burden and desire to reach our loved ones who are yet outside of Christ with the gospel of salvation. Part us now, we pray, with thy blessing. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee to bring us together again next Lord's Day around his table. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory.